You're listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Well, you're probably familiar with the phrase, the priesthood of all believers, which is a theological phrase that we use to describe the fact that every Christian has direct access to God, and speak to him directly, we don't have to go through anybody else, and also that God, has, having poured out his spirit on us, uses us to, uh, to minister to other people as well. You don't have to go to a priest to be used by God or to speak to God, um, which is a really cool doctrine, and there's a lot more to it than that, but um, that's not the main point this morning, so I'm not going to tell you all about it. <laughs> <laughs> there's a less-known phrase, which is not really a phrase that's coined, but it basically covers this, the same thing, uh, but a different aspect um, equally important, and that is the kingship of all believers. Every Christian, it says in the Bible, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. And what that means is that we, in some sense, uh, we reign with him, we rule with him. Uh, we share in his kingship because we are united with him. And every time I read uh, this chapter, this section of Ephesians, I get the feeling that that's really what Paul is trying to get across to uh, the congregation, the church at Ephesus. He's trying to get across to them the the height of their calling as Christians. Just how awesome it is, what God has done in in making them Christians, and what God is calling them to, what kind of life he is calling them to. They are not, he's saying to them, you're not just adherents of a religion with a a set code that you follow. I'm not just sending you a list of, of rules to follow. But you are now children of God, called to grow in the likeness of Christ. This is a really high calling. And in verse 1 of chapter 5 makes that really clear. He says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. He's, he's raising their sights to understand who they are. He's saying to them, if you like, as a, as a king might remind a young prince um, or princess who's appearing in public for the first time, remember that you are royalty. Well, I think uh, that's a great angle for a pastor to take, to be honest with you, in terms of laying foundations for the Christian life. He could have uh, gone to Ephesus and given all sorts of different specific commands of how it, how we should live the Christian life. But in terms of laying a foundation, something that's wonderful to come back to again and again is to remind God's people that they are God's children, destined to be like Jesus, that they bear, now having been saved, they bear God's image once more restored, and that they live as members of God's household, and they share in this royal dignity, the royal dignity of Christ, they share not only in his uh, in some title, but they they share in his vocation to rule the world by serving in love. If you were to design your own alpha course and choose your own subjects for the foundations of the Christian life, I think that would be a really great angle to take, a great subject to include. So many truths of the Christian life flow from that foundation. God has created us to be kings to rule. Um, and even, of course, though, as uh, sinful people, as those born in sin, we've ab- some, to some extent we abdicate that responsibility. Part of our salvation is that God has restored it to us. So, just in beginning, really, I just it's really on my heart to say to you that I think God would remind you of that this morning. It's a really simple truth. God would say to you that if you're a Christian, and you've been baptised into Jesus, you are royalty, crowned with the image of God, 
anointed with the Holy Spirit. That's such an important truth, isn't it? Think about it for yourself. This high calling. Something in you will push back. Maybe a kind of humility. A false humility, actually. Something in you will push back and maybe you even want to laugh at the idea um, of thinking yourself as royalty, a prince or princess in God's household. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now. You don't feel worthy of the title. Maybe you don't even feel like you've begun to live up to that title. But God would say to us this morning, he'd say to you this morning, there's no case of mistaken identity here. All those who put their faith in Christ are adopted into my family, he says, and are given the assurance that one day you will be like Jesus in spirit. And until that day, he will keep you safe and keep you growing up into that inheritance. And God is calling us once more, just as we begin to live up to that truth. You are royalty in his household. Well, to be royal isn't just, of course, to have a title. There's a headline in the paper this week about the wedding of Princess Eugenie. And um, I don't think I've ever said her name out loud before. It's quite unusual when you say it. <laughs> Princess Eugenie. And uh, her, apparently her wedding at Windsor is going to cost the taxpayer. Anybody know? Two million pounds. There you go, Graham. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's, that's the first bit of the kind of scandal. Oh, why are we paying for this royal wedding? But the real scandal is, of course, that she doesn't have any royal duties. So there's more to it than that. The, the, the money's for the security for all the royals who are attending, so that's not really her fault, is it? But there we go. Um, she doesn't have any royal duties. Well, as Christians, we are not minor royals like Princess Eugenie. We don't just have a title and then just get to live off the expenses. Um, we, we actually have something to do. If you're royalty, according to Scripture, then we are called to, in some sense, to rule. That doesn't mean acting, of course, all high and mighty. It doesn't mean we swan around going, I'm a Christian, I'm better than everybody else, and, you know, I get to do whatever I want. But actually, you're called to rule. Um, to, and to, what that means is to understand that we have a responsibility to serve the world around us in the same way that Christ has served us and served the world, of course. We have a responsibility to reign over the things that God has given us responsibility for. And God has entrusted each one of us with various things to um, all different aspects of life. He's entrusted us with things to protect. He asks us to uh, affect the world around us, to bring flourish into the world, and to bring things around us uh, to be as God intended them to be. And uh, it's a wonderful part of our salvation. Actually, when God created us, he created Adam and he gave him this commission, go forth, subdue, uh, go forth, multiply, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. And that was Adam's original plan. God gave that. That's what it, part of what it means to be made in God's image. It's to have this, this calling to rule over the world and to cause it to flourish. And of course, at the fall, that is lost as we sin and rebel. We sort of abdicate in that responsibility. And such a wonderful part of our salvation is that God restores that responsibility to us when he saves us. He fixes that image. So, you think of someone like uh, King Solomon. You know, Jesus reigns over the whole world. Kings and queens, someone like King Solomon reigned over a kingdom. God has given us to, things to rule over for the same reasons, to protect them, to cause them to flourish, to bring about the best of them. Those 
what kind of responsibilities are there? Are things like our own bodies, our own lives, our families, our marriages, our work, our communities, our church, the whole world around us. God calls us to exercise a kind of a reign and a rule in those things. So, just simple points really, but the second thing I think God would say to us this morning, as his royal people, as his royal nation, he commands us to take that responsibility seriously. One of the things that should distinguish you, if you're a Christian, from the multitudes of people around you who don't know Christ, is that you recognise that you're not simply here for the ride. You're not just passive, you know, caught up in the streams of life and carried where, wherever the world takes you. You're not just a consumer who just sits back and lets things happen. You're not just there to, to take in, but you're there with a responsibility. God has actually delegated part of his ruling and reigning to you. It may be relatively, of course, compared to the Lord himself or compared to uh, King Solomon or whoever, a, a very small part, you may think. But actually, he's delegated some responsibility to you. And so none of us gets to sit back for the ride and just wait till we get to heaven. We each have a, a job to do. So he says to us, it's not good enough for you just to drift through life, following your nose or your belly or whatever else, wherever they might lead. Not, neither do we get to sit back and just expect other people to, to take responsibility for the things in our lives. Rather, God calls us to recognise that he's given us royal responsibilities that actually much depends on your behaviour. Not only for your own lives, but for the life of the world around you. And, of course, for God's glory. We are to be good rulers. So, we've sort of laid two kind of uh, foundations, really. But coming to the main point that I, I think the Lord would speak to us this morning about. Uh, we come specifically to what this reading has to say about it. Having reminded them of their status, Paul in this letter to the Ephesians, having reminded the height of their calling of their, their royal blood, as it were, Paul then says to the Ephesians, verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. That's, that's really the essence of, I think, what God would say to us this morning. is It's a call to be wise in the way that we live. So if we're kings, we're called to, to rule and recognising our responsibility, like uh, King Solomon, who, when God asked him what he would like, he prayed, God, I want more than anything else, I want wisdom. And God said that his request was good. Why did he want wisdom? Because he recognised the task that was before him was immense, bigger than he could manage. So he cried out to God for wisdom, and God gave it to him. Likewise, as we recognise this amazing calling that Paul wants to emphasise for us in this passage, as we recognise what God calls us to, that we have this responsibility to, to rule over the world around us and bring it to, to be as, as best as it can be, we should cry out to God for, for wisdom too. God wants us to give, he wants to give us understanding of ourselves, of the world around us, of uh, the way he's made things of himself, so that we can make choices that are in line with his will, so that we can rule over the various parts of our lives well. And that's a wonderful part of our salvation. 
It's a wonderful thing that we aren't just passive in our relationship with God, but actually God um, wants to wants us to make decisions and exercise wisdom. Really, we get to share in His image in a wonderful way. It's not something to be scared of. It's not something to be to run away from. And we're anointed with the same Spirit that anointed the Lord Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He makes us, in saving us, he makes us fully human again by restoring to us this capacity to understand and to make choices about the world around us. So ruling takes wisdom. But a really good thing about it is, and the Bible makes it really, really clear, is that this wisdom that God gives us is a free gift. And it's something that the Bible says again and again, actually, even before we get to the New Testament, God is very clear that to those who seek wisdom, he is more than happy to give it as a gift. And that's wonderful news for us, because it kind of sounds a bit like a burden, doesn't it, when we start to imagine that God has delegated us to responsibility. He wants us to understand the world around us and, and make choices for ourselves. I can start to think, oh, okay, well, this sounds, I'm starting to get anxious now, so I'm going to have to be making choices and thinking things through and that sort of thing. But God is very, very clear that wisdom is a gift. So Proverbs 9, the beginning of Proverbs 9, verses 1 to 6, reads like this. Wisdom has built her house. She's set up its seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set, also set her table. She's sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. See, I mean, you can preach a whole sermon on that, but let me just cram it down to you into one paragraph. If you want to be perfect, if you want to be secure, if you want to have abundance and joy, God offers freely, he offers wisdom. If you want to have a fullness of life that actually has a shape and makes a difference in the world, then God offers us wisdom. He sends out this invitation for all to, all to hear, come and eat and drink. And the same promise is reiterated in the New Testament when James writes, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God. He gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. An amazing promise. One thing that really helps us to understand why this is an important part of our faith is just thinking about why it's in, why does God give us wisdom? Why is he keen for us to understand and to exercise this responsibility of ruling with wisdom? And the answer is because it gives us fellowship with him. We can caricature some of our approaches to God when we're, for example, we're trying to find out what his will is. We can... Uh, we can caricature some of our approaches as sort of imagining that God has like a perfect plan for us. Like even this passage says, um, uh, look to do God's will. And we imagine that God has a will and he's sort of blaring out for us to hear and we're, we're a little bit deaf. But if we pray hard enough and we seek his face long enough, what will happen is we will hear exactly what he wants us to do and then we can just go and do it. Right? You ever? I, I think I think like that sometimes. I definitely hear myself talking like that sometimes. God's plan for us is even better. Actually, the picture he, ha- he wants us to have is of a, c- a council, actually. The, the, the fellowship we have with God is, um, of course God can do it without us, but he invites us into his council room and he gives us this 
quite staggering responsibility. He, was, he actually is asking us, what do you think about this? Now, it's not that he is submitting his will to us, but he's having, he has a genuine relationship with us. He wants us to think things through. He wants us to say, say to him, God, this seems to me like the best way I should go. What do you think? To ask him and to relate to him and to have fellowship with him. You know, something about that may sound like we, it's almost a bit blasphemous, like we're getting too big for our boots, but actually it's this fine line between understanding that we are not servants who just simply do what God says, but we are, as Paul says in his passage, beloved children. We're not just waiting downstairs for our commands to come, the bell to ring and us to run upstairs with a teapot, but we are in fellowship with the father carrying out the family business. You know, it makes sense, this idea of fellowship, well, wisdom and understanding, bringing fellowship, it makes sense just from our common experience. You know, a husband doesn't just expect, well, some, maybe some of you do, doesn't just expect his wife to simply passively obey him. But what kind of marriage would that be if, you know, a husband just gave the orders and the woman was just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> but there's relationship, isn't there? There's, there's back and forth, there's, there's discussion and counsel. And, and because of that, there's richness in that relationship. There's a richness that there wouldn't be otherwise. Um, and, and actually, that relationship brings not just good decisions, but also brings delight and joy and friendship and all those things with it. That's what God is looking for in us. So when we have wisdom, we actually have that fellowship with him. And when we have understanding of the world around us, and we come to him with our ideas, and we, we submit it to him, and we discuss them with him, uh, and we make choices... He takes delight in those things. Likewise, you know, when children are very young, we just want them to do what they're told, right? But if they did that as they grow up, you know, I'd be really happy if Charlotte just did what she was told. But if Sophie, sorry Sophie, to mention in the sermon, but if, if Sophie were never to discuss anything, she was just like, yes, okay, I'll do that. In every circumstance. You know, she's 12, she's about to turn 13. She's got opinions and she's got ideas about the world around it. And there's a richness there that I would be foolish to not encourage. And I'd be foolish to not engage with, actually. And more and more, of course, as she gets older. So it's, it's the same with us and God. He wants us to be wise. Not so we can be like independent of him. So he can download all the information. This is how the world works. Please don't bother me again. You're, you're grown up enough. You can make your own choices. But he wants us to have an understanding of ourselves and the world and him so that we can be in true fellowship with him, so that we can understand his will like this passage says, so we can understand his will like those who are in friendship with God. His glory doesn't just simply pass through us like like an empty vessel, but rather his glory is reflected and refracted and multiplied through us as we respond to him in relationship. Do you see why God wants us, wants us to have this wisdom? He wants us to rule. He wants, he, he wants us to reign over these areas of responsibility he's given us. I'm going to be a bit more specific in a moment, so it's not so abstract. Not because he's lazy, not because he needs to delegate, but he wants us to rule and reign over him so that we have fellowship with him, so that we're actually in his image. So, how are we to be wise? Well, of course, wisdom is very big concept, and in general, having understanding of these things is, is uh, what Paul is talking about. But actually, um, verses 16, 17, and 18 of our passage today show particularly what Paul has in mind. So actually, if you start with verse 18 and work backwards through those, he says this. He says, firstly, he says, don't get drunk on wine, 
which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is it, don't get drunk on wine is a straightforward command, by the way. I, I'm going to say it means more than don't just don't get drunk. But just in case anyone's wondering, it does mean don't get drunk. <laughs> but there's a word play here in Greek that's kind of, it's easy to miss in English. And Paul often does that. He often is saying things, not just with the words, but by the particular words he's choosing. He's making a deeper point. The word that's translated here as debauchery means to waste or to, dis- quite literally, to dissipate or, and this is the clearest answer, to pour away. So don't pour away your life, he's saying. And drunkenness is an example of something that's wasteful. You know, there's, there's no good result from it. It just pours away your time and your money. So he's using it as an example. Don't pour away your life in wasteful living. It's the opposite of being filled, do you see? Don't pour away your life, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. See what he's saying there? So don't be purposeless. Don't be wasteful. Don't dissipate your life for the sake of fleeting pleasures. For the sake of meaningless pursuits. And so I think that's a message our generation needs to hear, don't you? (laughs) Leisure is wonderful. We have so many opportunities for leisure in our world. So many ways to relax. But I think we've probably shot over the line somewhat. (laughs) in the number of options we have for wasting our time. God wants us to rest. I was talking to Robinson about the floods in Kerala on Skype, and I mentioned to him that we'd been on holiday. And actually, I had a little rule that I would never talk about my holidays to him, because I know he never takes a holiday. Anyway, I forgot my rule, and I said, oh, we've been on holiday. And he said to me, not, not self-pityingly, but he said, oh, I've never had a holiday with my family. <laughs> oh, please pray for me, <laughs> that one day I'll be able to go on holiday with my family. And um, maybe choke up a little bit. But, you know, rest is good. You can't just carry on forever without rest. We need to rest. But, boy, I don't think we need to rest as much as we do, do we? In terms of wasting our time. So, anyway, that's a bit of a sidetrack. But Paul's saying, don't be purposeless. Don't pour out your life in meaningless pursuits, whether that's drunkenness or endless wiki wonders or Instagram um, trolling or whatever. But instead, be filled. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be poured out, be poured into. It doesn't mean that God just wants us to have spiritual experiences or even just the things that happen in church to happen. What he's saying is, is that we, in being full of the Holy Spirit, it means something quite specific. It means to be walking in the love of God. So it means to be fully aware of God's love for you and fully returning that love to God. And, and in that interchange between us and God, it needs to overflow that love to others. That's what it means to be to want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and everything that comes with that, spiritual gifts and wonderful experiences and everything else too. But at the heart of it is that, that loving relationship with God. That should be our goal. So in everything we do to be to see God's love and to return God's love and to love as God loves. That's when we're full of the Spirit. So that's verse 18. Step back a verse, verse 17. He's saying the same thing. Don't be foolish. 
Don't be thoughtless. Don't be merely impulsive. Don't be irrational. Don't simply go with the flow. Don't do whatever you feel like. But understand what the Lord's will is and seek to fulfill it in every part of your life. That's what he's saying. You see that? It's a warning against this passivity that just says, there's nothing for me to do. But actually, it's saying, don't be foolish. Don't just follow your nose. But take responsibility for understanding what God's will is and bringing it into being. Step back another verse to verse 16, and he's saying the same thing. Make the most of every opportunity. I think that's how it's translated here. Let me just check. Making the most of every opportunity, yeah. Comes from, um, that word is translated as making the most comes from the Greek word for marketplace, agora. Um, and, and what he's saying, you could almost translate it very literally, too literally, really, but it just gives us an idea, a kind of picture that helps us grasp it. Uh, other verses, um, other translations translate this as redeeming the time. And what he's saying, you could translate literally as something like this, buy everything in the shop. Look at all the opportunities around you to do God's will. Look at all the different ways where you can rule for his sake and bring about his life and his will, his beauty, his love into being. You can serve him, show how amazing he is and live for him and buy everything in the shop. You see the picture that Paul is painting? He's saying there's a whole world of opportunity for you to exercise wisdom in. There's a whole marketplace full. So like Adam in the Garden of Eden we mentioned earlier, to whom God said, go forth, multiply, subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Adam was to, to look out of the world around the Garden of Eden. The Garden was this perfect, cultivated place. To look out of this world that was yet to be subdued and to take over all of it and make it a garden. Make the whole earth into a garden. The same is for us. God has given us a world of things that we are to rule over in order to bring them to fulfillment, to bring them to fruitfulness, to make them everything they can be, to to change the world around us so that it brings more and more glory to God. There's a a, a philosopher called Abraham Kuyper who said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And... (laughs) He didn't say this bit. I will add. He gives, Jesus gives us the job of making that clear. We're the ones who reveal that that's true. Everything belongs to Jesus. We reveal it's true by taking responsibility for things God has given us to do. This, and then Paul says this strange phrase, um, do this thing, buy at the marketplace for the days are evil. And, that, and really what he's doing is he's intensifying the picture, the urgency of what he's saying. There's this whole world of opportunity to reveal God's love and his glory and his power that without your wisdom as a Christian will go to waste. If you don't buy up the whole marketplace, somebody else is going to buy that stuff and it's going to be rubbish. If you don't rule, you're abdicating and you're inviting someone else to rule that area of life. It'll go to waste or something worse. So let's make it practical. What are we talking about? In reality, what areas of your life has God given you to rule over? Well, firstly, yourself, of course. Very literally, he's given you your body to rule over. If you don't rule over it, someone else will. Your appetites, your temptations, your base instincts will rule over it. 
God says you have to have wisdom. You have to understand how you work, what makes you tick. You have to understand how I've made you. Ask me for that wisdom and I'll help you to understand and then I'll help you to, to flourish as a, literally as an embodied person. I'll, I'll help you to do that. To, 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 have, to have purity and to, to live in chastity. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. The Bible's, I mean, it's fun, I feel funny saying it because I don't feel like we talk about it enough, but the Bible talks about it a lot, doesn't it? Having self-control. Recognizing that God is honored quite and wonderfully, and we have an amazing opportunity to serve him quite literally through the bodies he's given us. Not just our bodies, of course, but our vocations. But God calls us to look at our own giftings, our own things we're passionate about, the things that we find easy, um, the things that we, we love doing, and not just drift through life, coming and doing whatever pops up in front of us, but actually saying, God, bearing in mind all the, the ways that you've made me, how can I best spend my life in your service? What's the thing I could be doing that gives most glory to you and reveals your kingship and, and love and glory and power in, in the best ways in the world around me? Every single Christian has that serious, solemn responsibility to ask those questions. You know, I wish someone had taught me about this when I was a, a young man. When I went to a university, when I finished university, you know, some of you know I had a computer business. Well, you know, the way that happened was basically I was quite good at fixing computers. And one day, I, um, I had no work, and the guy rang me up, and he was running a computer business, and he said, will you come and fix... I'm short-staffed, and I've got an emergency. Will you come and fix this guy's computer? I was um, 21. I went and fixed this guy's computer, and he paid me £25 for about half an hour's work, and I was like... That's really good. <laughs> and I spent like 10 years doing computers. I'd never given it a thought. I mean, that is actually quite crazy. God is good, and he blessed me and gave me lots of experiences, and I'm sure he was in it. But it's kind of crazy that I never sat down and thought, bearing in mind who you've made me to be, the things I love, the things I'm good at, what should, what should I do with my life? I just did what was in front of my nose. And I, I don't particularly regret it in the sense that I could say, God really blessed that time. But I regret not bringing that decision before the Lord and asking him for wisdom and saying, what can I do? So if you're, maybe you're a stage in life, if you're young, and you're thinking about what you can do, actually that's a really serious responsibility you have, to ask God for wisdom. How does he want you to live your life? Maybe you're a turning point in your life, some kind of transition, change in job, a change of location, all those things. Don't just... Do the first thing that pops into your head. Don't just follow your nose. Don't just assume that a certain arrangement of events is God's providence either, actually. But bring it to God and say, God, give me wisdom to understand what is the best thing. Serious. It's important, isn't it? So our bodies, our vocations, spreading the net a bit wider, our families, of course. Whether as a child, or as a spouse, or a parent, each of us should seek wisdom to make our homes, our marriages, our family life as glorifying to God as possible. We should be saying to God, God, give me wisdom. Husbands, you should be asking God, give me wisdom how to love my wife. I know we can make jokes out of that, but actually it's really serious. Wives should be, should be asking God, give me wisdom. How can I cause my husband to become everything? In, in the part that I have to play, how can I cause my husband to be everything that God's called him to be? They're called to rule in that way. 
It's, it's a serious, profound calling. Now, parents for your children, it, it's, it's so important. You ask God for your wisdom. Goodness me, we need it, don't we? To, to parent our children. How, Lord, how can I? You've entrusted me with this gift that is, frankly, just astonishingly too great for me. But I need, like Solomon, we should be on our knees. Lord, the one thing I need more than anything else is wisdom. To, to raise a, <laughs> a Sophie and then a Neve. And, then, <laughs> you know, and you guys who've got kids, you know what it's like. Different kinds of wisdom for different children as well. <clears throat> Fathers especially, let me just give you that challenge. You know, Christians have pretty much always said the, the father has a responsibility to, be the fir- to basically be the first pastor so if you, actually, Anna has a husband before your father as well. To be the, your family's first pastor, the first church is the home. And if you're a husband or a father, that's your solemn responsibility. And it's your job to bring spiritual life into that setting, to give a lead and a guide, to initiate and to make that happen. So you need wisdom for that. Well, a bit wider beyond family, of course, we can talk about work, to bring God's presence into our work, to, but if you own your own business, to bring a sense of, of prospering and uh, of uh, kingdom values into, into, your, into your job, into your work. If you're an employee, to bring God's presence and to bring his peace and his justice, his ethics or whatever it is into your workplace. It, it takes wisdom to do that, but that's your responsibility. God, and it's not some small thing. It can make such a difference. But the, the attitude you have when you walk into your workplace, you may think nobody's looking. You may think it makes no difference, but it can make all the difference in the world. You can be a light in a dark place if you rule in that place as God wants you to. In, in our communities, God calls us to live to the glory of God. In the church, in our church community, we each have a, a role to play and a place to play. We're a, a, a place to be and we're, we're a body and each of us has a part uh, to play in that. We should be asking God for wisdom. What's my place in this church? What's my, what are my ministries? And what are my strengths? And how can I serve others? And how can I give you glory, God? And, it, and in the communities around us, we should be doing the same thing as well. It, it should be like a burning question. How, how in Turner's Hill or, or Forest Row or Crawley Down, wherever it is you live, can we manifest the kingship of, of Christ in this place? How can the church spill over and bring this life to being and reveal how amazing God is? That's part of your job. Don't abdicate that responsibility. Because God's looking at you and asking you, what are you going to do? You know, hospitality or um, reaching out with evangelism or all sorts of different things. So there's this challenge then. God will bring to us and say, you know, are you buying up the whole shop? God doesn't want us to be over-examining ourselves and uh, looking at the minutiae of our lives in this kind of self-critical way. But what he would say, I think, is, are there areas of your life that are unexamined, that are foolish or wasteful or just lying fallow because you haven't realised that you have a part to play? God would bring us that challenge. Well, lastly then, um, Paul emphasises three things, I think, that go hand in hand with seeking to live wisely. It's really, I think it's really interesting that he highlights these three things because I don't think they're very obvious, actually. But verses 19 and 20, he starts talking about singing to each other <laughs> and um, giving thanks. But I think, actually, they're profoundly important. I'm, I'm not going to speak very long on this, but 
but I think they just help to um, guide the guide this point home really. He says, um, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So three things. Firstly, fellowship. Speak to one another. We can't live wisely. We can't buy up the whole marketplace unless we're in fellowship with the Church of Christ. In, in uh, numbers, in, in council, there is wisdom, the Bible says. It says wisdom comes with grey hair. You know that? It says that in the Bible. <laughs> so if you don't have grey hair, church is a good place to find it. <laughs> if you're struggling to know what to do, you know, counsel of fellowship, um, the wisdom that other people have, that, that same joy that God has in, in giving us wisdom and hearing what we have to say, we get that joy in sharing with one another and asking what to do. When we know what to do, but we can't do it, that's what the body of Christ is there for too, isn't it? To help us, to give advice and support and prayer and insight. So fellowship, I think, it just hones that, is, is an important part of this, this wisdom. It's not just us and God asking for, for wisdom. It's, it's us and God. Secondly, worship. I just, I just love that it's here. It's, just, it's almost random. But if you don't know God, it's random. But if you know God, you know this is true. The whole goal of this wise living is not just good management. There's a sterility, isn't there, too? The idea of, you know, God calls us kings, not presidents or uh, not prime ministers. We're not just, and uh, not chief executives. We're not just there to make sure that his world runs well or the church runs well or our family is official. You know, there's, there's a kind of emptiness about that. We're kings. There's a, there's a beauty and a transcendence about what God calls us to that this emphasis on worshipping together and singing together just, just brings. He doesn't want our lives just to be naturally good for other people to go to look at our lives and go, oh, they've got a well-run household. I think I'll go to church. Right? That's a part of it. But, oh, you know, it, it, it seems something we've lost in, in our Christian culture recently is this idea that, that there should be a beauty in, the, in our worldly expression of, of, of our faith. You know, I was, I was listening this week to a guy talking about um, a church in Paris called Saint-Chapelle. And um, it's this beautiful church. It's, it's almost all stained glass windows. It's built in such a way. And it was built to, I mean, we may laugh at this, but it was, it was built to hold the, the relics of the crown of thorns that were discovered sometime in the Middle Ages. Now, you know, that sounds like nonsense to us, right? But, but the, whoever built it, they wanted to build a place that was not just a secure box. <laughs> spoke about the passion of Christ on the cross. And if you went to that place, I'm hoping to go one day, if you went to that place, I think you would be overwhelmed by the beauty that someone made in God's image and reigning, <laughs> ruling on behalf of Christ has done for the glory of God. That's just a picture. That's what we should be aiming for in our jobs and our churches and our communities and our families. Not just efficiency, not just get the job done, but a beauty that transcends we, we want our homes not just to be um, financially stable, but to be full of God's peace and his joy and love and there to be goodness and beauty and truth there, right? Same for our workplaces. Same for our communities. We don't just want to be the sensible people. We want to be beautiful. So we, we want 
the, the goal of this is to worship God. Not just for everyone to go, oh, God is very sensible. But when they see our lives and the way that we rule on behalf of God, to look at our lives and say, wow, God is amazing. He's wonderful, beautiful and holy and all those things. So worship, and thirdly, Matt's already touched on this, interestingly. Uh, always giving thanks. Thankfulness. Wisdom comes when it's done in community and directed towards worship and done sought with thankfulness. It's very easy to conjure up in our imaginations the picture of a king weighed down with responsibility, isn't it? And sitting on his throne, head in his hands. That is not how God wants us to be. You know, if you read the New Testament, one thing that emerges again and again, just surprisingly, shockingly at times, is the thankfulness that inhabited the early church, especially the apostles. You know, there's this bit in Acts 5 where they've, they've been arrested and they've been tri- um, questioned before the Sanhedrin. Acts 5, verse 30, 41 says this, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the Lord's name. Thankfulness is there, isn't it? Directing their steps and <coughs> fine honing that search for how does God want us to pay. Paul in Philippians, writing from some kind of prison that we probably can't imagine, it's so small and dingy and stinky, writes this, I thank my God every time I remember you. Thankfulness transforms our perspectives and directs our lives, especially when we feel overwhelmed with the responsibilities God has apparently given us especially when we feel inadequate. It's so easy to focus on the challenges we face. You know, it's been a holiday and time of rest, and you know, but I had so many challenges with the kids. Moments when I thought, oh, Lord, it was supposed to be a break. <laughs> and it's more stressful, you know. And the temptation is just to take your mind off all the blessings that God has given you and just to see the responsibilities, isn't it? You feel like that at the moment? Anything in your life? Let me just reassure you, God does not need you. He delights to share his rule with you. He deigns to ennoble you as a king. But he doesn't need you. He does it so that he can share the joy of being in his household. He's not burdening you with more than you can handle. He's asking for your counsel because he wants you alongside him in fellowship. So we can be thankful. We can take our eyes off these responsibilities and just thank God. Like Matt urged us to do in prayer just before the sermon. Thank God for all the things he's given us and that adjusts our our sights and leads us to wisdom. God loves your decisions. You know that? loves and trusts your ability and as we take up that offer we in turn give honour and glory to Christ who has so graciously shared with us the privilege of ruling for the glory of God Amen, let's pray